Welcome to the Taking Your Time podcast. Today we interview Chris Brown and learn what it takes to create the Times Square ball that drops at precisely the right moment every year and what decades of work in theater production can teach us about time. Hello, Time Hackers. Very excited for our guest today, Chris Brown. Chris has received a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from UCF and also graduated from Yale University with a Master of Fine Arts in Technical Design and Production and has spent the last 11 years as the production manager, general manager, and now executive director at the Orlando Repertory Theater, a theater for young audiences. And then on top of that, he's had a lot of experiences in that world, holding positions at the Utah Shakespearean Festival, New York Summer Play Festival, Yale Repertory Theater, working at one of the largest Broadway scene shops, Hudson Scenic Studio, where he helped build the Times Square Ball. I want to know about all of these all of these things. And, <laughs> and on top of that, somehow finding time to run a startup with his wife called Class Max. And so we will definitely want to learn more about all of that. But first, I know I gave your bio, but we'd love to hear from you. Tell us about yourself and your journey and kind of like how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Jacques. I'm glad to be here. That's a lot of stuff. I feel all the time that I am not old enough to have achieved so much in my career, but I'm very, I, I stay very humble and very grateful for all the opportunity I've had. And, you know, the whole time I've approached it as just being ready for when those opportunities pop up. And that's really helped me stay on track. But I I was born and raised in Florida. I I grew up in the Panhandle, a little beach town called Gulf Breeze. And, you know, got involved, started getting involved in theater in high school. I don't know that it was ever like, like a choice of a career starter. I didn't intend to like, you know, want to be on Broadway or anything like that. But I loved building the sets. And I think I really resonated with the industry because it welcomes everybody. The theater just brings every body in no matter who you are what you look like and so i think that really kind of spoke to me i just love the people in the community so i kept going uh got to ucf got more involved in building sets and learning how to build sets and doing a little bit of automation and things like that and it just sort of went off from there yale happened by chance i was writing an article for one of their publications and in that process they asked me if i was going to grad school and i was like what's grad school but you know i i got married right after ucf and my wife and i moved to connecticut and i went to yale for a couple of years and we loved it, so we stayed up there, worked on Broadway, did um, some big Broadway show, was the project manager building the Times Square Ball, and and absolutely loved the industry. Very cool to see that side of the business and then bring all of that knowledge back to my role now at Orlando Rep, where I've been almost gearing up for 12 years here in a couple of months. So that's been a long journey and wonderful takeaways the whole way. I've, I've always kind of had this ability to stay at 10,000 feet and kind of, you know, connect the dots throughout my career in weird ways. And it's just sort of, again, I I feel like I've always approached it as being a sponge and taking in as much information as I can. And then as opportunities pop up, 
I'm ready for them and I'm prepared. So I, I have all the confidence of jumping right in. So uh, that got me um, here. And now I'm finding myself the executive director of a, a, of a medium-sized, large um, nonprofit here in town and um, loving every minute of it. What, what an incredible story and journey, you know, you know, I've, I've definitely seen this theme repeated of, you know, the most successful people being able to just keep their eyes open for opportunities. And a lot of where they are today is yeah. not uh, part of, you know, a grand vision, like, yeah, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to go to Yale right. and then I'm going to go do that. And right. that looks like it from the outside in. Yeah. Uh, looking but, back on it, it certainly is like, oh, you planned all of that out. And, and, you know, especially with the, you know, the last 10 years of, of startups exploding and all of that, you know, there is a kind of a common thread where you need to know your why and you need to have this all planned out and you need to have these things that you're shooting for. But honestly, man, as I talk to students and work with students today, like I tell them you're, you are especially as a student, you have no stakes, right? You, you can, you can, test your boundaries. You can, you can soak in all of that stuff. You can get all of those little bits of experience. And then when those jobs come up, you're ready, you know, and you can jump right into it and not look back. And so all along the way, uh, there were very few things that I set my sights on as a goal that I wanted to go and do. I was more just ready for when those calls came and it still happens today. It still happens all the time, you know? That's amazing. Now, I do, I do have to ask, since, since we did talk about it in your intro, so how long does it take to build a Times Square ball? I assume, <laughs> I assume less than a year, I hope. <laughs> less than a year. So Times Square ball is an interesting project. So before the one that I constructed, they, they're, they're, the one that we built was about the, let's just call it the sixth or seventh one. But I think it was the start of 2009 is when the when the project was live but we so this ball the whole point of it was it was the first one that they wanted as a permanent landmark in times square prior to that they would go down a week before new year's put up the ball install it do the drop and then take it all down and it would go back into warehouse but they wanted one that was permanent to times square and so the one that we built was twice the size it is as it ever had been it's about 12 feet in diameter and it lives in times square all year and the one that i built is still there today you know 12 years later so oh that's amazing i didn't realize that it's amazing and what a cool thing to be a part of you know like there's not too many things in your life where you can say, hey, I built that and a billion people see it every year. Yeah, I don't (laughs) Um, think anyone hasn't. You know, so what a cool thing. I I was a project manager, so I was in charge of getting all the pieces together and building it in our shop and uh, getting it down, getting it downtown. (laughs) It's kind of just a a random thing, but I do have a piece of it over on my shelf over there. That's uh, a little memento. So it's a cool thing to be a part of for sure. That is really cool. And to answer your question, it took a, we worked on it for about nine months, 10 months of actual build. So there was about, I would say probably five or six months of actual construction and, and putting it all together. And then it took them about a month to load it in downtown. And then it's been there ever since. It's pretty cool. (laughs) 
Very cool. And then what was, you know, what was one component of it that surprised you? That's such a great question. I would say the, the most common surprises was what it takes. The difference in, you know, the, the difference in building things for the stage is that you use a lot of the same engineering and mechanical design and electrical engineering techniques for the stage. However, the stage is more of a temporary arena, right? They're, they're, the, the life of a show, I mean, some of these Broadway shows that get crazy and are there for decades is different, but most of them are there for a year, a couple of years, and they're gone. And then for the rep, they're there for like eight weeks. So you're still doing some of that engineering and design, but for a temporary thing. And to see something like the Times Square ball it, that is a permanent structure and to you know to go through that design process of the welds all have to be perfect and tested and all, all of that specificity was quite extraordinary because you got to think the thing is 12 feet in diameter sitting on top of an 80 foot pole in the middle of a, you know, on top of a building in New York, and it's like, it's got to be snow and wind and rain, and it's got to survive the elements. It was just, it was amazing to see. It was just amazing project, you know? And just I would massive. say it's it's probably one of the few pro in, in, you know, in the scale of the world where it's truly like engineering and art have this marriage. And, you know, you truly get, you have to, you really have to go all out on both principles yeah. to to execute. Well, that's why I love this industry is that you, 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 you interact with all of the different trades. It's always something different. It's always something creative and exciting. It's my claim to fame. You know, <laughs> if I don't have the Times Square ball, then it's all about like Chris Brown, Rihanna jokes or, you know, me being a rapper or something. I, don't I, I didn't know. ask you so. how many times you've been mistaken for the uh, rapper. But. You know, I was here first, so uh, okay. I'm, I'm, cooler, right. I'm cooler fair. than him. That's fair. <laughs> um, and, you know, I do want to pull on one of those threads, too, to maybe segue into some of your more recent work. You said, you know, some of the shows at the Orlando Rep, they, they run eight weeks or so. And so that's really interesting to think about for me. You know, on this show, we talk about saving time, but we also think about how you spend your time. And we also think about sort of the micro and the macro parts of it, right? And not many jobs have that scale, but I think at the Orlando Rep, you know, producing a season of shows, you do have that scale. You know, the people are going to show up, whether you're ready to have the show or not, they're going to be yep. there yep. and they're going to expect it to start at a certain time. They're going to expect it to end at a certain time. Then you have overlapping uh, shows, right? And yeah. then you have <laughs> resource contention yep. over the lighting engineers and the, you know, the... You know, the, it, it's a common... It is such a common misunderstanding, you know, so many people interact with us simply for the entertainment value and they're seeing the, the performers on stage, right? And, you know, if I have been backstage my entire career, there, if there's 10 people on stage that you see, there's 30 people that are required to make all of that happens. Back of the house is bigger. Back than the front of the of house, house is way bigger because you have to think. You know, it, you go all the way back. Somebody's got to create a script. So writers and creatives and all of those kind of people to just create the thing that then you are going to produce. And then it goes to all of the technical staff who actually take the pictures and bring them to life. 
all of that happens before you're ever on stage. So, you know, there's so many more people. Maybe that's why I really loved it because it wasn't about the spotlight. It was about making sure that the spotlight could happen at all, right? So the spotlight isn't on you, but you're pulling all the strings to make it happen. So it's really, it's really fascinating. It is. And, you know, maybe this would be, I'd love to hear if you had any tricks, but I mean, I think every event planner in the world is always trying to figure out how do they add that buffer to their schedule. Yeah. But you like, know what it we- is though? It's, it's, I, I, I talk about this a lot. Usually it comes out in, in conversations around budgeting, right. And, and factoring in the resources you have. But you know, the, the thing that I always go back to is that the, the time is fixed, but it's always that, that piece never changes. So in a way it doesn't matter, right? You, what's so important, especially in, in my world right now is that we define what we're trying to do or we define what we're trying to accomplish. And then we look at the resources, right? Because so often you get into, you know, the first meeting and you're like, okay, the show opens on this day. How how are we going to make that happen? We've got this much time. And to me, the time doesn't matter until you know what you're trying to accomplish, right? Because um, in the budgeting world, I say the same thing. The budget really doesn't matter. And if you think about it, if I want to do The Lion King, if I want to do The Lion King with your family and all of their friends here at The Rep, I can use the same exact script that they use on Broadway. I could put a hundred dollars into it and it could be amazing for your kids and your family or we could put a hundred million dollars into it and it could serve a broadway audience right but the story and the show is the same so until we define what we're trying to do then the time doesn't matter yet so i love to look at it that way and say let's not worry about any of the physical resources that we have yet Let's be creative storytellers. Let's figure out what story we're trying to tell. And then we'll pile on the resources and see if we need to scale it back or not. Right. So that's a, that's a little kind of trick that I've kind of ingrained in my staff's head because it is a different way to look at it because you kind of want to look at the resources you have first. But in our business, it's a thing. So we need to be creative first and then we can look at tangible. Have you ever been in a situation where, you know, the time card says, you know, the, we're supposed to be into the, well into the next scene, but you know what? The audience is just loving the delivery <laughs> of this particular one. Like, what do you do? Do you cut them off? Do you yeah. just accelerate all the remaining scenes? Like, yeah. how do you handle a situation like that? That is the reason why our industry will never disappear, right? Because there is something about live entertainment and live um, interactions and experiences that are just different. It is different every time you see the show. And it's not designed that way, right? Like we, we design a show and we plan out all the, all the cues and all the movements, but at the end of the day, it's still a live thing. And so if somebody forgets their cue or if they, you know, drop something and it breaks and then they have to figure out, well, a, how do we clean that up? And B, how do we make it seem like we did that on purpose? And so you, you, that's, that's really 
when it gets to a show's performance run, that's really the job of the stage manager. The stage manager is, is responsible for making sure that the intent of the show stays true throughout the entire performance run, but you know, calling the cues as they happen. And sometimes things get skipped and sometimes it's really, it's thinking on your toes, it's being flexible and and letting that live story happen, but still kind of keeping some kind of boundaries on. So, <laughs> you know, you might see in a show like a random blackout happen and, or, you know, you're sitting in a blackout for way too long and you don't really, you don't really understand, you the music's still going. Something might be off, but you know you don't know what's. Is that, going is that where the stage manager they 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 stop using the hooks to pull the actors out, and <laughs> yes. now they turn off the lights instead? Yeah, yeah. You just you just pull the curtain down, and you know they'll reset. <laughs> but it is it's it's so especially at Orlando Rep where our audience is young people. All of our shows, all of our live shows, a lot of them come from children's literature. It's it's characters that kids know and love from books and we bring those stories to life so it's very it's so fulfilling and it's so exciting when you get three or four hundred kids in a room to watch a show because kids are really smart so it's a really wonderful um, audience to work for because kids are really honest if you ask a kid if they liked it they'll be like no (laughs) so it it keeps you on your toes but it, it also makes it really fun and for the the audience out there, if you're ever uh, in the Orlando area, we have a lot more than you know Disney World and Universal. So even if you're just traveling through, please check out the uh, the Orlando Absolutely. Repertory Theater. Absolutely. So so getting into your startup, that that's interesting to me because now now we're really getting into uh, time hacking territory, right? Because yep. you you still hold a position true at the Orlando Rep. You have Class Max, um, and, and so. I don't know where I want to start, but you know, let's let's get into Class Max first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell tell me about Class Max. Tell me about the mission. How yeah. did it get started? So the whole the the Class Max spiel is it is a platform to save time in your classroom, and this came out of my wife's. My wife was a middle school language arts teacher here in Orlando, and you know she was coming home frustrated regularly for not being able to keep track of all of these things. She was at a a school that was very early on in the transition to digital. Um, and in our local county here, they wanted to make the whole county a digital curriculum. And she was the tech lead at one of these schools. And so she was really having frustration in her classroom, being able to just keep track of all of these little data points that she was really required to keep track of. Everything from progress on state standards to behavior in the classroom to hall passes. You're required to provide a certain amount of accommodations to your students that have special needs and you have to report on that to the state every year. All of that is a manual process and all of that is done in different systems. Some of the bigger schools have LMS systems and and it's just kind of a mess. So we approached it as this education technology that's that's you know just exploding over the last decade is all being made for the county and the dollars in ed tech are coming from the counties 
and that's who you can get to pay for these things. So we said we want to turn that upside down and we want to make a product for the end user because what we were finding and what Katie was really frustrated with was these tools sounded fantastic from the county's perspective, but by the time they got all the way into your classroom as a teacher, they were so ineffective and, you know, the technology was 1992 and just really archaic methods of keeping track of all of this. And so I'm crazy enough to, you know, convince my wife to say, you know, hey, I think this is really something that we could put together and build. And one of our good friends was in the tech world and, and helped start like Tough Mudder. And he's been in a bunch of other tech startups over the years. And we put it together. It was 2017 and we started finding designers and engineers on like Upwork and we started to find people and went through some growing pains with developers and all of that normal stuff and ended up raising some money and getting it going and, and getting a great team of of devs and really haven't looked back. Right now we've got about 6,000 users all over the country using and, and paying for this tool that we built. And the whole goal of it is kind of, you walk around your classroom with an iPad and it is very easy in three steps or less, you can track meaningful data based on your observations. So, so much of education is test focused. We wanted to turn that on its head and say, hey teachers, you guys are really smart. You're professionals, you know if a kid is understanding the content or not. And this allows you to, through your instruction, track all of this meaningful data and help it drive your instruction for the next day or the next semester or what have you. So you sell you so any teacher can sign up. They don't have to you don't have to sell to the county first. And so we went single user first and let that go for a little bit. And then we built because there was demand and because there was multiple teachers at one school that wanted to all be interconnected, we built a schools platform that kind of can bubble up all of the teachers individual data input into dashboards, into reporting techniques so that the administrators at the school has some oversight as to what's going on across the school. It seems like you always hear about uh, new startups and new technology, but I, I don't know that these things are making it into the classroom or I don't know if they're built yeah. in a way that uh, truly meets the needs of teachers. So I love yeah. the bottoms up grassroots approach of going directly to the teachers to yeah. to build a solution that works for them not for the school but for the for the classroom that's what we really set out to do from day 1 and so we've got probably two dozen schools that use the platform all over and they're finding great success but i think you know, a little school in a little county isn't going to be able to do Canvas. They're not going to be able to have these huge systems because they can't manage that. So we try to go at it, you know, somewhere in that in-between and, and try to really focus on that end user and making sure that their experience is is, is top-notch. I love that. Looking forward to see the uh, technology make it into to my kids' schools. Absolutely. So. We can make that happen. <laughs> and here's the so here's the million dollar question, yeah. the billion dollar question. Depends on how high your aspirations are. <laughs> how, how do you? So I, I also hear that you may be teaching a course in the near term as well. So how how does one make room for all of these different things and continue to be successful? I mean, that just sounds like they're 
they're three different people. It should be three different people, man. It should be. It, it's a great question, and you know, I, I think it's 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 a long journey for me, right? I, I think I've learned by doing all of these things that you know you have to stay you have to stay flexible. You have to stay open to doing things differently. I, I feel like I I feel like I almost rarely have a set routine that I stay in. I try, you know, I I don't remember where I heard it, but not too long ago I, I was listening to a podcast or something and it was all about the importance of, you know, being able to focus on the task at hand and in our world today, you know, there's so many notifications and all of this stuff. And I have found it really helpful to when I'm sitting at my desk, I'm working, right? And when I'm not working, I'm not working or I'm doing a side project or I'm working on Classmax, right? But having all of those things swirling around all the time in my head, it is uh, completely overwhelming and, and it would be impossible to manage it all. But I think, you know, there's a couple of things like that that I've learned over the years in, in maybe it's, you know, some of it comes from the production manager days of managing those crazy teams and some of it comes from you know, Yale education, some of it comes from managing all these people over the years, but it, it's one thing I always tell myself is no matter what problems coming in, the, your priority coming into my office does not mean that it's my priority. So really focusing on not, not answering questions for my staff, but asking them a question back so that they find those answers, right? Not that I can't answer it. I'm fully capable of solving your mess that you brought in here, but that doesn't help me and that doesn't bring efficiencies to my workday. So your problem doesn't necessarily mean that it's also my problem, <laughs> right? And so, you know, keeping a little bit of that perspective day to day has tremendously helped. And then making my work more meaningful, right? Doing things that I like doing. And, and when I sit down to do them, I'm focused on them. That's allowed me to be really efficient. And then, you know, the, the times, no one's perfect. I'm, I'm, I learn every day in, in all of these roles. And, you know, when I start to get off track, I found that Sometimes I need to find a new tool or find a new way to organize my work, you know, whether that's like building a new board in Trello and just reimagining all the stuff I need to do that week. And that helps me kind of take a minute to get organized. And then once I'm organized, then I can start knocking stuff out, right? But sometimes the inbox just gets so overloaded that it, it just is confusing, right? You kind of have to do like a like a task bankruptcy and just totally. start from the ground up. And totally. you know, maybe the thing that I thought was really important last week, it's upon your, yeah. revisiting, maybe yeah, not. you got to have priorities, and you gotta you gotta you have to determine, you know, not what's important in the big 
big picture, but what's important right now? I was just playing with, uh, earlier this summer I was playing with a new app that I found called Sunsama, I think is what it's called. And it's sort of a mix of Trello and, and Google and email and it, but it, but it was really cool way to just reorganize that task for the day. And I find myself once a year or so just needing a new tool to look at everything I do in a different way, you know, and that helps me really weed out all the stuff that I don't need to be doing and, and focus on, you know, the important things that can drive something forward. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I, somebody actually, one of your podcast guests said it, that done is better than perfect. And, you know, Back in time, I was very concerned with making things perfect. I had really strong work ethic. I had really strong values when in terms of quality that I wanted to see, no matter what it was. And I still have a lot of that. However, I have learned now that if you make projects too big and, and you're trying to solve all of the things all in the same sentence, it's just impossible. So, I, I don't know how I do it all, truthfully. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I look at the uh, schedule for next semester um, at UCF for the classes that I'm teaching, I'm like, holy cow, I don't know how to do all that. But, you know, you just find moments where you can work on it and you and you get it done, you know, move on. Yeah, while you were talking, it made me, it just brought up something for me that you were uh, saying energy management as being actually a very key component of time management Yeah, because it, it dictates how long you can work on something and how effective you are when you're doing it. So yeah. it really, it, it really, you can't divorce time from energy. Yeah. And to your point, you know, having that meaning makes it so that you don't have to do other things to sort of recover that energy because the act of do, doing the thing. It's so much easier to do my job at the rep when there's kids showing up every day to see a field trip, right? When I can, through the pandemic, when we weren't having audiences in the building and everything, I could feel myself really getting bogged down. And it's because I really didn't have anything to fill my bucket up. And it got to the point where one day I went home and I was, and I told my wife, I said, um, we got, we have to go to the beach or something. Like I have to get away. I have to do nothing for a few days because I don't have anything filling up that bucket. So you're right. Like there's no way I can sit down at my desk in the morning and, you know, check Orlando rep email and class max email and, and UCF stuff. It, I have to find those moments where I'm going to work on that thing and that's what I'm focused on. And, you know, for me, I'm an executive director of a big nonprofit. Like that's my second priority. My family, of course, is my first priority and I'm going to, I'm going to do, do them first no matter what. But then it's my executive director job and that takes priority sometimes. And then that ebbs and flows and I can get Classmax um, to take priority and then UCF and on and on. And so, you know, I, I just, the, the times when I really struggle with time management, more times than not, it's because I'm not very organized at that moment. And I need to take a few minutes, get it all laid out and get it all organized. And then I can start um, chugging, climbing the mountain. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I, I love all the tips and you know your the the rich history that you have, and and just it shows how much you really do care 
about what you do and, and the people that you help. Do you have that. anything that you'd like to share as far as, you know, current projects that you're working on, if people want to get in touch with you? And then, of course, I'll put the website for ClassMax and for the Orlando rep in the show notes. Was awesome. there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? I don't think so. That's great. I've really enjoyed this, shock. I really appreciate your time. And, you know, you're right. I love doing what I do. And so any opportunity to, you know, get the word out is is awesome. So I, I will circle back to what you said earlier. If you're traveling and you find yourself in Central Florida and Orlando, you know, please get a moment, a day away from the parks and, and come see what this city has because it's a pretty it's a pretty cool place to live and it's a really fun city to work in and it's exploding. So check it out. And if you're a teacher out there, check out ClassMax. It'll help you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. Thank uh, you, we'll sir. Appreciate uh, having you on the show and, you know, have a, have a great week. Thanks. You too. Take care. You. Thank you for tuning into the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and remember, life is how you choose to spend your time. Please use it wisely.